Welcome to Ask Away with Vince and Joe Vitale and hosted by Michael Davis. Vince and Joe Vitale are currently leading the Zacharias Institute. Both hold doctorates from the University of Oxford, Vince in philosophy, and Joe in women in the Old Testament. In a world that increasingly sees the Christian faith is irrational and irrelevant, it is more important than ever for believers to be prepared to give a defense for the faith. Ask Away is brought to you by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries. It's time to Ask Away. Hello and welcome to another episode of Ask Away with Vince and Joe Vitale. I am your host, Michael Davis. Every genuine believer will at one time or another question their faith, whether they question the truth of their conversion or the truth of their perseverance in their salvation. These are the questions that have tried the souls of countless of believers. Martin Luther himself ushered in the Reformation after agonizing over the question, am I truly saved? And realized that the answer to this question was not found in his works, but in scripture. These questions are part of the Christian experience, but the beauty of the answers to those questions should give us hope and assurance. But before we get started, Vince, I would love for you to tell us about the incredible opportunity that RZM has for everyday believers who wish to learn apologetics at home and at their pace. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about the RZM Academy and how they could get involved? Well, the RZIM Academy has been going for a couple of years now, and it's truly taken off at a remarkable pace. There have been 5,000 people who have gone through the program now, and uh, in, I think, about 110 different countries. So more than half of the countries of the world from literally every region of the world. It's our online curriculum. You can access it at rzim.org. And it starts with a core module, which is 12 weeks and takes you through an introductory understanding of worldview before then tackling some of the major questions in apologetics, questions that everyday people and everyday believers have about faith. And then from there, once you've done the core module, you can move on to electives about Islam, about why suffering, about engaging the modern world, about doctrine, and many other areas as well. I I think it's an incredible resource. I hope you'll take advantage of it. Wonderful. Well, let's get down to it. Here is our first question. How do you define a true Christian? Well, I think you said it right at the beginning, Michael. It's a question that everyone asks at some point, and I'm I'm just really thankful. I think the Bible speaks clearly to this question, and from the very first time I read through the Bible, the verse that stuck out to me with respect to this question is Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that will there, not might be, not probably will be, but that will be saved really struck struck me as well when I first read it and continues to. And see similar in Romans and in Acts, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord again will be saved. And I think that's just an amazing confidence uh, to be able to have. You don't have that confidence in other ways of seeing the world. In Islam, you don't have that confidence. According to Islam, even Muhammad couldn't be confident in where he was going after his death because it depended on how his works weighed up on the scales, whether his good works were going to outweigh his bad works. And ultimately, it depended on just the discernment of Allah, which would be incomprehensible to anyone who's just a finite human person. Or you take a worldview of atheism. Atheism does make a promise, but it promises that you won't 
be saved. So it's really unique to the Christian faith, this understanding that if you believe in Jesus, if you trust in him, if you confess with your mouth that he's Lord, you believe that he's both Lord and Savior, you will be saved. And the remarkable difference between Christianity and every other way of seeing the world is that every other way of seeing the world asks you to do something. It asks you to earn or merit or deserve your salvation in some way. Christianity turns that on its head, and it's about a God who came down, and he did everything necessary for us to be saved, and he in turn just asks us to accept that, to ask for his forgiveness, to turn in a new direction, and to follow him. So praise God for that. I um, was reading an article the other day by um, a famous actor who was um, talking about the fact that he grew up in the church. And then uh, he said something that just made me feel so sad. And this is what he said. He said, that's why I never understood growing up with Christianity. Don't do this. Don't do that. It's all about don'ts. And I was like, how do you know who you are and what works for you if you don't find out where the edge is? Where's your line? You've got to step over it to know where it is. And and just the fact that someone could grow up in the church and still come away believing that actually what Christianity boiled down to was a list of don't do this, don't do that, um, was such a fundamental misunderstanding. It actually couldn't be any further from the truth of what Christianity is actually about. And what I, uh, what I love is the scripture that says, uh, this is eternal life. They know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, that it's not about um, I'm going to do a list of good and bad things and then I'll get my reward in paradise. But it's about actually stepping into the relationship that you were made for with the God who made you, a God who is in and of himself love. Um, and rather than having to find the edge or find the line by trying everything, because when you try everything, what you basically wind up with is nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually coming to the God who says, let me tell you who you are. I know you and um, and I know all the things you've been struggling with. And I even know the mess in your life. And hey, I don't love you, you know, um, once you've come to me and clean yourself up, but I'm going to love you enough to, ha- to step into that mess for you, to take it on myself. Um, you can be fully known and fully loved with God. You don't have to be, pretend to be anything, but, but, but who you are and let him be the one to clean you up. There's an amazing question that Jesus asks in the gospels. He just says, do you want to be well? And I find that such a challenging question because I actually think we don't you know, we think, well, of course I want to be well. Actually, we don't always know the answer to that question. Do we really want to be well? Do we do we want to be well enough to let God come in and change us to say, hey, being a true Christian means um, I'm not actually God, you are. <laughs> um, and and you need to take that place in my life and you help me figure out who I'm supposed to be. One of my favorite Bible verses is from Psalm 119 and it's talking about the commandments, but not commandments in the way that... Um, that they'll break you and ruin your life. But but there's a line that says, I will run in the path of your commandments because you've set my heart free. And I love that it's that way around. We have free hearts because Christ has made us free. And once you're free in Christ, then you can run in the, the commandments that God has given us and, and skip and dance and, and just enjoy them. And um, because you realize this isn't about do's and don'ts. This isn't mm. about ruining your life. This is about um, living free with the God who, who made you to be free, to become the person that he's called you and created you to be. That's great. There's so many different ways to talk about this question. And just listening to you, Joe, it just makes me realize how how rich the tapestry is in terms of what it means to be a Christian and how exciting it is as well. One other way to think about what it means to be a Christian is to be forgiven, to be unconditionally forgiven. And to be forgiven, you need to recognize yourself as a sinner. You need to recognize yourself as someone who does wrong and who is a, a broken person. And then you need to ask for forgiveness. And that 
forgiveness needs to be granted by someone who's big enough and just enough to provide forgiveness for all of your sins, for everything you've ever done wrong, past, present, and future. And so that's why I think only Jesus can offer forgiveness for our sins, because only he can offer it with justice, because he met the demands of justice by being judged in our place. We all have a problem with forgiveness. No matter who you are, you've done wrong. And when you've done wrong, just doing good doesn't make up for it. When I wrong Joe, I can try to make up for it until I'm blue in the face by doing good things to try to outweigh them. It doesn't do any good. It only brings me back into right relationship when I turn to her and I ask for forgiveness. And so we all have a forgiveness problem. We need to ask for forgiveness, but we need to ask that forgiveness of someone who's big enough and just enough to actually provide it for us in a full way. And I think only Jesus can do that. Another way to think about what it means to be a true Christian is to be born again or to become a new creation. God promises that when we accept him, he takes out our old hearts and he gives us a new heart. And I've experienced this in my own life. Not everyone can point to a specific moment. I happened to have a moment where I I knew in a way that went beyond my reasoning and my calculations that God was who he said he was, that Jesus loved me, that he was inviting me into a real relationship with him. And when I asked for forgiveness and when I said I wanted Jesus to be the person who I would trust and the person who would lead my life, uh, I did become a new person. And that was challenging. I went off to college, first person to go to college in my family. I went off as one person. I came back the next summer in a very literal sense as someone new. Uh, And that was challenging on relationships initially. But over time, it's been an incredibly beautiful thing because God was creating me into the person that he intended me to be, not the person that I was trying to be when I was resisting him in my life. And it is just beautiful to read in the scriptures of the people that God intends us to be when we are new creations. And the Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and generosity and faithfulness and gentleness, and self-control. Just imagine if those things, each one of them, were true of our lives. How different would the world look? Well, that is actually where the world is headed because Jesus has done what's necessary in order to bring that regeneration, that transformation into the hearts of those who love him, and he's building a community that will live very differently in the context of eternity. It's interesting kind of counterpointing what you said about how a lot of atheists and a lot of people who have quote-unquote lost their faith say, I grew up in the church, and then counterpoint that with what you were just saying about being a regenerate, born-again Christian. A lot of people say that that I was raised in the church as giving them the, the expertise to talk about the Christian life. The Christian life is not about being in a family. It is not about being in an ethnicity. It is not about being in a church. It is about being a new creation in Christ. And to to believe otherwise will set you up for a misunderstanding of the Christian life. It is not about going to church. You can attend church all your life and never be a Christian. You you must be born again. This Jesus was completely and totally clear. You must be born of water and of spirit. This is not one of those things where I attend church, so I am automatically grafted in. Yeah. 
one of our colleagues, um, Sam Albury, he'll, he'll often say how um, those who don't hear the music think the dance is mad. Mm. And I love that line because I totally get the point. If you don't, if, if God isn't in it and you're just watching all these Christians scurrying around, going to church, going to Bible study, doing this or not doing that, you know, if you just see the outside without that, that new life within, it does look mad. You think, why would you put yourself through that? Why wouldn't you sleep in on a Sunday morning? Why wouldn't you indulge this or indulge that? Um, but it's, it's only when you, when you hear the music, when you actually encountered God, when the Holy Spirit is living in you, empowering you to live um, a new life that, that suddenly um, the dancing makes sense and it no longer seems quite so mad. It just is an incredible amount of joy and fun. Absolutely. I just wanted to speak to a related question as well, because there's the question of what it means to be a true Christian, uh, what it means to, to have asked for forgiveness and to be in right relationship with God. And then there's there's also the question of what does it look like to live as a true Christian? And Amen. that's a really challenging question for me, uh, for all of us. And a couple of verses that I try to keep close to me, uh, John 15, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and— we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Or Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Such a radical statement that you don't find in any other worldview. And so one way to think about Jesus's call on those of us who are true Christians in terms of how we live as true Christians is that people are worth dying for. That's one way to think about the message of Jesus. And then that poses a really challenging question to us. Who are we dying for? Whose life am I putting before my own in following Jesus who put my life before his own? I don't always have a good answer to that question, but I think it's a really challenging question and one that we should ask as Christians. Wonderful. So this goes into question number two. And this one is, uh, I think, a question that a lot of people struggle with. I know that uh, that it is a question that I've had, um, maybe not to this extent, but uh, one that this question asker obviously is genuine in asking. So here we go. What if you are a Christian and you still, still struggle and fail in regards to some of your old sin habits? Is there still forgiveness? Does God still see me as this new creation? Well, welcome to the club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but thank you for your honesty. And un unfortunately, oftentimes in the church, we're not transparent enough about our struggles. And so if you are someone that continues to struggle with sin, you can sometimes feel like you're the only one because everybody has their smiles on and their families look perfect. And you don't realize, you know, what we would be in a much better place as a community if we would be honest about the fact that we are saved, but we're saved sinners and uh, we're broken people that are still awaiting the, the the ultimate redemption that's coming in Christ. So I'm really glad you asked this question. And it's interesting because I, I grew up as a non-Christian. Joe grew up as uh, a Christian. Michael grew up as a non-Christian. It's interesting how sometimes it's easier to accept grace when you've come from a non-Christian background than when you are actually already a Christian. You think that well, I didn't know any better when I was a non-Christian, and so God sort of has grace for me then. But now once I become a Christian, if I continue to do wrong, 
well, God doesn't have grace for me at this point. And there's some faulty logic in that. I mean, first of all, it's not true that we didn't know any better when we weren't Christians. Deep in our hearts, we did know that we weren't living the lives that we were intended to live, and it was our pride that kept us from God, not just our ignorance. And so it's it's a funny thought, in a way, to think that God is a God of grace and not a God of works who asks us to earn or merit or deserve our salvation. But then, once we become a Christian, all of a sudden he does a flip-flop and he turns into a God of works. <laughs> and now it's not about grace, but it's about whether or not you can do enough on your own in order to merit your salvation. So I think God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah. His love is unconditional. It is the same for the non-Christian and for the Christian, and his grace is extended to all. And so hopefully the fact that we're in a love relationship with God, just like would be the case with a great friendship or a great marriage, that spurs us on to live better and better lives and to rely on God and trust the Spirit's power to live those lives. But God is a God of grace, and that is true by his nature, and that's not going to change just because we've become a Christian. Either way, God has that love and that offer of forgiveness for each one of us. And it's just amazing to me how many Christians um, really live under the burden of guilt. We met um, our atheist neighbors a few years ago who um, he, he told us that one of the reasons he didn't believe in God was when he used to go to church with his mother. He has vivid memories of just looking at her every week. And, and, and what stuck with him was her guilt face, as he called it. And I just wonder how many of us are walking around with guilt faces. I know I used to be in the same boat myself. I, like Vince mentioned, I grew up in a Christian home. And particularly as a teenager, I made some huge mistakes. And I remember feeling like, well, God can't forgive me for those things because because actually um, I was supposed to know better. Um, it's okay for people who didn't, you know, if I'd done those things when I didn't know Jesus and then I come to faith, that would be one thing. But I kind of felt like I played the system, like because I knew God was going to forgive me anyway. So I totally taken advantage of that. In some ways, I think perhaps it was that I, I believe possibly God could forgive me, but I couldn't really forgive myself. And I was just living under this huge burden of shame. And it was just really eating me alive. And I would look at other Christians who from the outside look so shiny and perfect. And I would think, um, God has a good plan for their life, but I probably on plan B now. I'm on the second rate plan because I blew <laughs> the first one and it's all going to be very mediocre from here on out because I don't deserve it anymore. It was all about deserving in my mind. And then I met Vince and and um, that was a nightmare because Vince is fantastic. And I remember thinking this guy's great, but once he knows the truth about me, he's definitely not going to be interested anymore um, because I'm not who he thinks I am. He thinks I'm this perfect pastor's daughter and I'm I'm someone else and it's going to be such a crushing <laughs> disappointment. Um so I remember. love can be very irrational. <laughs> but anyway, on whose so, part, by the way, I just want to yeah, make sure. So, I, <laughs> um, but I remember being terrified to tell him about my past and my story because I just thought he was going to judge me for it. So I, I didn't look him in the eye when I did eventually tell him. I just stared at the floor and cried. And I remember Vince saying to me, "Joe, look at me," and I was just said, "No, I can't." And I was just crying, crying because I was so scared that I would look at him and I would just see disappointment and judgment. Um, but then, to my amazement, he. He obviously got fed up of me looking at the floor. So he took my face in his hands and he raised it until we were looking eye to eye. And then he just said to me directly and strongly, um, that is not who you are anymore. That is not who you are anymore. And he said it twice. And, and, and in his eyes, I didn't see judgment or disappointment or condemnation or rejection. I just saw compassion and love. And I think that was when it really clicked for me for the first time. Wow, that's what the cross means. It means that... At the cross, when when I accept Jesus' death on my behalf and what He has done for me, um, then it's, it's it's the same thing as if He takes my face in His hands and raises it until we're looking eye to eye, and He says to me, "Joe, that is not 
who you are anymore. You're a new creation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I think when you truly see someone who's understood forgiveness and you see them operating in a freedom and that they didn't have before. I often think of John 4 and and, um, the Samaritan woman that Jesus meets at the well is the perfect example of this because she's kind of an outcast in her community. She has shame in her past, but once she's encountered Jesus, she goes running back to her village and and the first words out of her mouth are, come and meet the man who told me everything that I ever did. And, And just imagine the things that she's done, the very things that her village perhaps rejected her for the things that made her an outcast, but she's no longer ashamed of them because she's met a God who sees right to the heart of her, but he doesn't put her to shame, but instead carries her shame and loves her for who she is. And um, and and then she's free because of it. And and I think that's the experience of Christianity when you know that actually the things that I've done, even the things I did yesterday, God's mercies are new every morning. Those do, don't define me. They don't determine who I am. It's what Christ has done that sets me free. So I can live in this amazing freedom that even when I fall down and make mistakes, I can repent and, and trust that God will pick me back up and we just keep going. And there's a kind of freedom in that. It's wonderful. That is wonderful and amazing in John 4 to think that it was the woman's very shame that God then used to honor her yeah. in her new life. I mean, that's truly, truly redemption. It's not just one being balanced off by the other, but it's actual redemption. And just one more footnote on on this question. Sometimes saying that what you've done is too bad for God to forgive can seem like a very humble position to take. But I actually think it's can be a very arrogant position without that being realized because in a sense what you're saying is that your sin is too great for Jesus's death to be enough for it to be forgiven. And so with respect to this question sometimes we need to turn our gaze off of ourselves and onto what Jesus has done and say as bad as what I have done is what Jesus has done is even greater. I like what John MacArthur says about this. Um, and he says, if it was possible for us, for us to lose our salvation, we would. Um, and I think that is, that is the, the, the truth of this, is that we are not being upheld by our own power, our own righteousness. We are covered by Christ's righteousness and Christ's power. One of, this is hands down my favorite verse in all the Bible because um, I know that when I first, you know, as a non-believer, I never really thought of sin as sin. I, I saw that it bothered me. I felt guilty, but I never had a concept of sin. So I, when I was first, it took me about maybe almost a month after I became a believer with a full weight of sin, it crushed me. Mm. And I was, I, I realized the the punishment and the, and, and the penalty for my sin was born, born by Jesus. I was like, I every sin that I did wrecked me and all the sins of my past wrecked me and and someone pointed me to Romans 8 um 38 and 39 and really kind of just solidified how assured we should be in our faith and i'm going to read it to you he goes for i am sure that neither death nor life nor angel nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor heights nor depths nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am pretty sure that anything else in all creation includes me. Wow. I'm with you, Michael. And those are just sacred, sacred words. Just what joy even to just hear them. Those are words we could read every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we are actually going to go to our final question. And this is 
What an, I'm just going to read the question. I'm going to let you guys tell the story behind it, but it is awesome. This is from Betty, and I'm going to read it. It is, I am 78 years old. I was raised in the church. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and I believe the Bible, but I don't believe that I have ever committed my life to Christ, and now I feel in my heart that, I, that my heart has been hardened. There is a time when God gives us over to our sins, isn't there? I think that I am at that place, and I'm scared. Is there anything I can do? We were just so grateful to receive this question last week from Betty. And um, actually, we didn't even really feel like we could wait. So I, I arranged a phone call with her two days later just to talk through her question and um, just really appreciated the sincerity of it and the vulnerability. And and I'm, I know that there are so many people who struggle with that same question. I think she was just vocalizing what a lot of people feel and wrestle with. And um, But I have the, had the privilege of talking to her and... Um, and it, it wasn't a, an overly profound or complex conversation. We, we just went through scriptures together and talked about um, how we should think about some of these things. And, and one of the things we spoke about was, you know, the verse in Romans 1. And you know, she spoke about being handed over to her sin. And we talked about the difference between God um, giving somebody over and God giving up on somebody. And that actually there's a real difference between those things, I think, um, as hard as it can be, sometimes the, the most loving thing a parent can do actually is to allow their child to be given over to a behavior or a sin that they're persistently um, going after. Sometimes, you know, the worst things my parents could do would be to stand in the way of me making some really poor decisions, even though they were poor decisions, because it only made me more stubborn and more resistant. But actually, it was through the process of of being given over for a time, for a season, just to really experience the full consequences of, of what I was desiring and falling into and even the power of those things over me um, that, that you 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 come to realize the full extent of where sin actually takes you and how dark and, and how serious that can be. Um, but it doesn't mean that people can ever reach a point where they're too far beyond God. And there's, there's no depth we can fall to or darkness we can enter into or power we can come under that God isn't capable of pulling us out of. And he doesn't give up on anybody. And I, I that's what we see in, in, um, in the Psalms. I, I spoke with uh, Betty about Psalm 23 and 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 the line where it says uh, that God's goodness and mercy follows us all the days of our lives and how actually um, in, in the original language that following really means to pursue or chase after that God is a, a God who pursues he's a God whose heart is always missional he's always um, coming after us and then we also spoke about um, Luke 15 and a couple of the parables that Jesus told you know the parable of um, of, of the prodigal son, but also of the lost sheep and, and God being a shepherd who, even if he has 99 and, and there's one missing from the flock, he still goes after the one um, because he doesn't give up on, on on any person. And and as for that question of, you know, having like, well, maybe it's too late for me because, you know, she's 78 and thinking, well, what um, I've lived a whole life, you know, without making a commitment to God. So how can I come back now? We, we talked about um, a parable Jesus tells about the laborers in the vineyard and um, and how even those who start in the last hour of the day, Jesus in his extravagant generosity, they get paid the same, you know, as the people who've been working all day. And some might say, well, that's so unfair. But I would say, wow, look at the generosity of God that it, it, it's never too late for anybody. Because as we've been saying, it's not about your performance. <laughs> it's about whether you desire to be in relationship with him. So we talk through you know, some of these verses together and, um, and, and it just became clear as we were talking that um, actually Betty really did desire 
um, to be in relationship with God and to accept what Jesus had done for her. And, you know, I asked her if she wanted to, she said yes. And then um, I asked her if she wanted to pray then. And she said that she really did. And she she lied to me because she told me she was rubbish at prayer. And then she prayed the most beautiful prayer. <laughs> um, just really beautiful and simple. Just, um, you know, saying sorry for the things she'd done wrong and asking um, Jesus to be Lord of her life and, and, um, and to uh, turn her life around and that she wanted to commit the rest of her life to him. And it was, it was such a joy to, to speak with her about that. And then we were just laughing together about how you can be 78 years old and you can still be born again and a new creation. And, um, and it was just, Betty, if you're listening, it was really just what a joy it was to have the chance to speak with you. And I was so moved by what you said about and wanting to spend however much time God gives you in the rest of your life um, serving Christ. And um, our prayers are with you as you do that. Absolutely. Just amazing that that one one question and conversation and prayer. If that's the uh, extent of the impact of this podcast that we're doing, just unbelievable, unbelievable privilege. We're so grateful for you, Betty, and uh, we will pray for you every day in the days ahead. Absolutely. Well, uh, we are out of time. Uh, Vince, sum it up for us. Well, I think maybe the summary this week is maybe particularly for those who are listening or who have friends um, who they might want to pass this along to who are hesitating, uh, people like Betty, um, people who know a good deal and have encountered a good deal about Christianity but have hesitated in making that decision, taking that step of trust in Christ. And maybe it's because you still have questions. Uh, Again, I'd say welcome to the club. Uh, I have more questions that are unanswered now because I know which questions to ask than I did um, before I was a Christian. But there's still a reality to the fact that you primarily get to know someone after you have made a personal commitment to them. There's a certain amount about Joe that I could know from a distance, but if I truly wanted to get to know her, then I had to decide I knew enough to trust her and I knew enough to make a personal commitment to her And then it was in the context of that personal commitment that I truly got to know her with intimacy. And if you're in that place, I would just encourage you as strongly as I can encourage you about anything to take that step of trust and commitment to Christ. And I'll just leave you with his words. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. Praise God. Guys, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we will see you soon. To find out more about our ministry or to donate, visit our website at rzim.org. If you're listening in Canada, that website is rzim.ca.